again for this morning. We thank you, God, for your word, God. We ask that you would bless your word. We ask, God, that you would touch it by your spirit. And God, I pray right now that you would give us the ear of faith to hear from you, that you give us the eye of faith to see you in this passage. I pray that you you give us the hand of faith to to reach out and receive everything that you, you want us to have today. And I pray that you give us the appetite of faith for your word today. So anoint this time, bless your word, and may all this bring us closer to you and give us greater trust in you and greater hope in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I think it's interesting to see how history repeats itself. I mean, it's interesting to see, I don't know if you noticed, past trends from long ago making a comeback, like it's coming back around. For example, a Samantha Brown, a New York-based celebrity stylist, said that Many design elements from the 70s, she said this, will be big in 2020. And the biggest trend, she said, will be bell-bottom pants. You can see it right there, right? Remember those? Hey, I know some of you secretly still have that in a closet waiting to come ar- that trend to come around, right? <laughs> well, another thing, another trend, another thing coming back is decor from the 70s is actually back in trend. I was reading some decoration, home decorating sites, and they said, hey, you know, wood paneling, wood paneling is back and shag rugs. Yes, shag is back, but it's in the form of throw rugs with different colors. I remember Kristen's old house, her parents was wall to wall, that kind of, what was that, Kristen? Avocado kind of green shag, you know, it kind of makes you go, you know, seeing that, right? (laughs) Well, how about this? Ray-Ban wafers from the 80s, you know, they're coming back. They're back in style. I remember when I bought my pair back then, as well as, you know what, aviator sunglasses Oh, I can't believe that because that was big in the 70s. And I remember when Ray-Bans came back like, oh, these the aviators, they're old, they're ancient, you know. But did you know that Ray-Bans were actually the wafer style were actually popular in the 1950s? That's when they actually came out. And then it came back out and it was popular again in the 80s, 90s. And then look today, it's back around again. Last year, Italian fashion brands like Fendi, Prada, um, Missoni presented for their spring lines now, men's short shorts. Oh, watch out, guys. Oh, they're saying men's short shorts are coming back. Yes, reviving them back from the 70s. And you see a picture of that right there, yeah? I think that's Jeff Goldblum. They got him, like, to uh, model that. But... I'll tell you that I don't think that trend's going to come back. I don't think it'll make it back. Yeah. And then one more thing here. Because of the coronavirus and social distancing, you know what is making a comeback? Drive-in movie theaters. You remember that? You know what? I, I thought they were all gone, that, they, they, you know, the land was all, you know, uh, used for something else, housing or something like that. But I read that there are still 320 drive-in theaters in the U.S. And the article was saying, this recent article, that they're beginning to make money again as people are driving into the movie theater, keeping that social dis- distancing. So crazy, yeah? Well, 
I'll tell you what, the older you get, the more you notice the past trends come back around again. Now, I was thinking about what George Santayana had said. I quoted this in the past. He, he said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And yes, short shorts for guys. Don't make that mistake again, right? <laughs> but there's another thing we see. You know what? There's another way that history does repeat itself. As we live in a fallen world, evil tends to repeat itself through history. Uh, we, we see that. Leaders rise up and they do the same things. Uh, uh, like these Ray-Bans, it keeps coming back around and around again and again. But what we'll see in the future, there will be an evil that will return. It'll be, and it will actually even be more worse. It will be similar but even more worse when it comes back in the next world leader. And who's that? The Antichrist. Remember last time we, we focused in on Antiochus Epiphany, and he was like a, a shadow, a preview of the Antichrist. And we saw that even earlier in the book of Daniel. Well, today we're going to, as we return to our study in the, in the book of Daniel, we find in this next part, in Daniel 11, we find a prophecy concerning the Antichrist. So a lot of what Antiochus did, he's going to do, but even more. And we're going to learn some more things about that. And he will come as the next world leader of a one world in the end times. So I've titled our message this morning, The Coming Antichrist. The Coming Antichrist. Again, we're going to be studying Daniel chapter 11 from verse 36 through 35. We're going to finish off this chapter. Our outline is this. We're going to see three things about him. Number one, his disposition. Number two, his domination. And number three, his downfall. So let's begin. Number one in our outline, his disposition. His disposition. And we're going to see who this guy is, the coming Antichrist. So, this first section we're going to cover in his disposition is Daniel 11, verse 36 through 38, for those of you who are taking notes. But first, we're going to focus in on verse 36 and actually just the first three words. So, take a look with me here now. Daniel 11, verse 36, and it begins with these three words, and the king. We'll stop right there. Now, we begin here, really, with the next part of this prophecy, right? The whole chapter's been this prophecy given to Daniel from the angel, and I believe it's the angel Gabriel. Remember, chapter 11 is really an answer to Daniel's prayer from chapter 10. He, wanted to, he was praying for Israel, the future of Israel. So then God comes in, brings a message to Daniel through this angel, and this is God's future plan for Israel and the world, and how Israel is going to fit in with all the world. And all that we've seen so far in chapter 11 was, remember, prophecy for Daniel, but it's history for us. Because it's happened already. For Daniel, it was his, the future of what was going to happen. But for us, it's, it, it's history. We can look back and we see how it came to pass and was fulfilled. So all that we've seen so far in chapter 11 was, was, was uh, history for us, prophecy for Daniel. And as we look back, that's why well, I titled our, our, mess, our messages the last two times, Prophecy and History. We had that in two parts, right? But now... As the angel goes on and continues with the prophecy, it's still 
prophecy for Daniel. But you know, for us now, as he goes on into verse 36 in the rest of this chapter, it's prophecy for us now. We're with Daniel. We're looking to the future now. And it says, and the king, which is probably better translated than the king. So like the next thing, which is the next thing way in the future. And it refers to the coming Antichrist. That's our title. So, when we cross into verse 36 now, from verse 35, we went from what happened in the past to what's going to happen in the future. Now, notice, if you remember, we, we ended with this last time. Notice above in verse 35, right at the end, it says, until the time of the end. And if you remember, that speaks of the end times, of the very end of the world as we know it. And then when it says, for it still awaits the appointed time. And that talks about God's plan for the second coming of the Messiah. And we know that's Jesus Christ, his second coming that's going to come. He's going to come at the end of the tribulation. So with, at the end of verse 35, all that sets us up for verse 36. Then this king will rise up and he he will become now the world leader of a world government. And we've been following that, right? In this chapter, we're, we're the king of the north, king of the south, come out, come, that came out of Greece, was the world empire, and they started fighting. Remember all those things that we saw in prophecy and history in those two parts. Well, now as we come into verse 36, the Antichrist will be the next king, the ruler, then this king. And it, it, it sort of like connects or it, it overlaps or, or connects with Antiochus Epiphany because if you remember, a lot of what he did is a preview of what the Antichrist would do. So history will repeat itself. But the Antichrist, let me tell you, he'll be a thousand times more worse. So as we come into verse 36, you understand this is about than the king, this next world leader, which is the Antichrist. And what will he be like? Well, this is his disposition. I mean, this will be what he's about. This is his, his thing. And, and with these next verses, verse 36, 37, 38, we're going to see three things here. This is his disposition. He will make himself to be, number one, the supreme king. Number two, the highest divine. And number three, the global power. So we're going to see those three things. But, but let's look at the first thing. He will make himself to be the supreme king. And we're going to see that in the rest of verse 36. The supreme king. So look at verse 36. It says, and the king shall do as he wills. We'll stop right there. The Antichrist will do as he wills. In other words, he'll have total control of the world. He will hold all authority. There will be no democracy here when he's the leader. He will be the dictator and nothing and no one can stop him. He will position himself really as the supreme king. He will position himself as the greatest king ever in history. And that, that's really his idea. That's his pride. That's what he's getting into when he says, you know, he, he, he can do whatever he wants. And then it says here in verse 36, it says that he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. We'll stop there. The Antichrist, next we'll see, we see here, he will set himself up to be the king above any of the leaders or heads of religion. 
That's the idea. He's the supreme king. He's going to make himself to be in a position above the God, even the gods of the different religions in the world. Uh, he will make himself to be like the superhuman uh, uh, being, the superhuman king, actually. And the Antichrist will be even speaking astonishing things or surprising, uh, shocking things against the God of gods. And you know who that is. That is the one true God. And that's who we worship, right? The Father God, uh, Jesus Christ, you know, the Trinity. He's going to actually go against the true God. Well, he will position himself uh, as the king above even then the Judeo-Christian God. And it sounds like, it doesn't sound like what Satan tried to do anyway, right? He's tried to lift himself up above God. So here's the Antichrist doing that. And then uh, the last part in verse 36, it says, He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. So, though the Antichrist becomes this politically powerful guy, controlling the world, at his will, doing whatever he wants, uh, setting himself up above, like the supreme king, even uh, over all the religions, and even going against God himself. God has decreed, though, that there's a time limit to his rule, to his authority. He will only prosper till the indignation, it says here in verse 36. What does that mean? Well, he will only prosper. He'll only go on till the judgment of God is done. Now, what is, what is this indignation? What is the wrath and this judgment of God? Well, this speaks of the judgment that will fall upon the world during the seven-year tribulation. Remember, this is the last the 70th week of Daniel that we studied. This is the, the last seven years of the world that we uh, know of it, as we know of it now. So all the calamity, the natural disasters, the demons being loosed on the earth, all that, and even people, the world, suffering under the rule of the Antichrist is the judgment of God falling upon the world. And that's why the church won't be there because we're not under the wrath of God, right? Scripture tells us. We have Jesus Christ, so we'll be taken out in the rapture. But in those seven years will be God's judgment poured out. But that's how long the Antichrist will be allowed to rule. So the Antichrist, he makes himself as the supreme king of all history with the most authority ever, ever, but yet the Antichrist is still under the authority of God. As we've seen in, in the book of Daniel, the Antichrist will rise up right as a powerful world leader out of the ten nations of the old Roman Empire. Uh, we've talked about that before. Revelation twelve thirteen actually speaks of how ten kings will give the Antichrist the, the authority. They'll give him authority over them. They're going to give that to them. And then with full control of the old Roman Empire, of, of, of the Western Europe uh, is what it's believed to be, he will continue to politically maneuver himself into the seat of, ruler, of being the ruler of a one-world government over the whole world. Next to him will be the one called the false prophet, Revelation 13, who will actually promote the Antichrist, lifting him up as the greatest king ever, as the supreme king ever in history, and even deifying him like Caesar. Remember, Caesar was like, hey, deified in that way in the Roman times. But these two will only be allowed to work their evil in a time frame of those seven years. And it all correlates, again, with the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy we studied in chapter 9. And this will all come to pass 
the Antichrist is ruled with the false prophet next and during the tribulation, which means we're not going to be here. So we're not going to see this and we're not going to be under this, but this is all going to happen within that time and God will limit it to that time. So we see here in verse 36, he will make himself to be the supreme king. Here's the second thing his disposition will see. We see he will make himself to be the highest divine, the highest divine. Now, let's take a look at verse 37, the first part. It says, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. The Antichrist will not have anything to do with the gods of his fathers, of his heritage. Now, with this phrase, some believe that this refers to that the Antichrist is going to be a Jewish man who leaves his faith. So there's some uh, phrases like that, God of your fathers, in the Old Testament. Um, perhaps uh, some say that's how Israel will accept him as like their quote-unquote Messiah who's for them and kind of look to him as a leader in that way. Uh, but I'm not so sure about that. Many commentators, though, say this refers to him being a Gentile who will reject, notice here in the ESV, I believe translates it correctly, the gods, G-O-D-S, or the religions of his past, or, or any religions in, in that sense. For Here's the thing, he's going to set himself up as, as the religion himself to follow, and we're going to see this later in this verse. So for me, I, I lean that way. Um, uh, there's there's, there's um, discussion is he Jewish? Is he a Gentile? You know, with this, I tend to lean toward more that he's a Gentile. And I think the, the Israel will accept him uh, like they've accepted any leader that will help them. So I, I kind of think that's going to be the idea here. But again, this is in the future. We won't know exactly until it all comes together, but it'll make sense. All right. The next part of verse 37 now says, uh, or to the one beloved by women. Stop right there. The Antichrist will also reject the one beloved by women. Now, what is this talking about? This is really a Jewish term. The beloved one who is loved by women is the Messiah. See, many women, the uh, Jewish women, desire to be the one who would, who would be pregnant with the Messiah, that they would be the mother who would bring the Messiah into the world. So the Antichrist basically will reject the Messiah, Jesus. Now, some say because of the old King James translation, it says uh, he'll reject the desire of women. Some say, oh, the Antichrist is gay then. Uh, he only likes men, you know, same gender kind of thing. So that, that's been one explanation here. Another one was, oh, he's not into family or he doesn't want to be married or anything like that. But I have to tell you, most commentators see as what's been translated here in the ESV that it speaks more of a rejection of the Messiah, Jesus. And, and again, um, there's a lot of discussion over this. I tend to lean that way. When I say lean, I kind of going that way, you know, but it leaves open for, you know, further interpre interpretation and study. And you guys can study this too and come to your own conclusion. But I'm just kind of giving you what I think and what I've seen with a lot of the commentators. All right, now in verse 37, it goes on and he says, He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. 
So lastly here in verse 37, the Antichrist will, he'll, he'll reject all religion basically, whether it's a Jewish, Gentile, any other God, any other religion in the whole world, whether it's Judaism, Christianity, uh, uh, Islamic, or whatever that is, Hindu, whatever it is, uh, Buddhism, he's going to reject it all because he will magnify himself above all. So not only is he setting himself as a supreme king, but he's going to be this highest divine here. In a, in a political aspect, he's a supreme king. But in, in the religious aspect, he is the highest divine, and he sets himself, promotes himself as really to be God, to be worshipped. So he himself becomes the religion of the world. There's a one world government. He's the ruler, supreme king. And there's a one world religion. And he's going to be that. That's what he's going to set himself up to be. Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. He says, uh, talking about the Antichrist, he writes, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, we've talked about this many times, haven't we? In our studies in the book of Daniel, and also even last time with Antiochus Epiphany as a preview, right, of the Antichrist. Well, the Antichrist is going to do a similar thing, but even go a step more. Remember Antiochus Epiphany uh, brought in a statue of Zeus into the Jewish temple and, and sacrificed the pig there uh, at the temple and just desecrated the, the place. Abomination, desolation, it's called. Jesus even referred that in the future, watch out for the abomination of desolation. And this is what it's talking about when the Antichrist, at three and a half years, we've studied, uh, three and a half years into the tribulation, midpoint, he's going to go into the temple, stand in there, declare himself God, and require the whole world to worship him. This is the really the ultimate abomination of desolation when he makes himself God of the whole world, not just supreme king, but the highest divine. All right, so we see he's going to make himself to be the supreme king, the highest divine. And the third thing now is the global power, the global power. Look at verse 38 now. We go on to verse 38. It says, he shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. So the Antichrist will honor the God of fortresses. Fortresses speaks about military power. So he's into having power and, and not just power and position, but power militarily. And this God whom his fathers did not know, whether he's Jewish or he's Gentile, um, what, what his ancestors or what his family did not really worship. You know who he worships now? Who is this God? It's Satan. Listen, Revelation 13.2 says, The dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. The dragon is Satan. So this is his God. This is who he really is connected with, and that's Satan. And so no other ruler will have this much power because Satan is part of it. He's part of Satan. It is really the God of war. And so here's, here's the Antichrist worshiping Satan. So he's connected with Satan. And he's going to have great military power because of Satan. And then look at verse 38. Um, are we on 38? Yeah. Um, verse 38 
It says, He shall honor the God of fortress of God, and he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. So in this last part, lastly, the Antichrist will honor others who submit to him with gold and silver, riches, you know, costly gifts. In other words, this means he's going to gain some of his military victories, not just the sheer force of his military, but also he's going to manipulate things. He's going to do backroom deals. He's going to wickedly um, manipulate leaders by appealing for their lust for power and riches. And thus, really what it's saying, through this military might and through his little deceptive ways, he's going to gain the whole world as his kingdom. So the Antichrist will be sitting on the throne as the global power. He'll be the global power, militarily, politically, monetarily, all in authority. And that's the idea here in this last verse of this section. You know, I like what John Philip said. His God will be Satan, who will give him his throne and global power. And then he said this. I thought this was super interesting. John Philip said, The Antichrist will accept what Christ refused. The kingdoms of the world, supreme power under Satan, and worldly glory, all as a reward for worshiping the devil. You remember that? When Jesus was tempted by Satan, Hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms. I'll give you the whole world. All you need to do is bow down and worship me and Jesus said, no, I, you only worship God, right? But this is what the Antichrist does. And he receives all of this as he's connected to Satan in this way. So here's a point in our first section. Coming in the future, this king of the world will be a very powerful and wicked leader who is literally empowered by Satan himself. This king of the world will be a very powerful and wicked leader who is literally empowered by Satan himself. That's scary. That's like, whoa, that, that's pretty crazy. But Satan is going to push him out and lift him up. Satan's going to empower him. Satan's going to give him the power and the deceptiveness and the way around uh, things to get people to give him that power. And Satan will empower him to have uh, a powerful military and be able to take over the whole world. Crazy times it's going to be in the end times. He will, the Antichrist, become this leader because he'll be empowered by Satan himself. You know, the interesting thing, right, and I mentioned this before, the world is looking for a leader, especially now. I think this whole pandemic is is causing people to talk more and, and, and seeing. I mean, they're looking at world leaders right now and they feel like they're failing them, but they, they look, they're looking to someone to, to come and take, take over and help them in the situation here. Actually, because of the pandemic, Jewish religious leaders in this article I read say the deadly coronavirus outbreak is a sign that the Messiah is coming soon and it's a message to humanity to turn hearts back to God. A rabbi, Shemel Elihu, said in a YouTube video that the world is inching closer to the days of the Messiah. So, like I said, it, it could be they, you know, the Antichrist, maybe the, a, a, a Jew and Israel is going to look to the Messiah and when he rebuilds the temple. Muslim leaders also believe the pandemic is a sign that the end of the world is close. Iranian cleric, uh, uh, conservative cleric named Ali Reza Ban 
Banayan said the virus will bring about the return of the Shiite Messiah called the Mahdi. And I've talked about that before. And, and listen to this in another article. It said this, This is perhaps the first global crisis in more than a century where no one is even looking to the United States for leadership. Interesting. They are talking about how since, since uh, uh, World War II, uh, U.S. has been a leader in, 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 in crisis and different things, but now the world's not looking to the U.S. Another he- headline uh, along these ways said, COVID-19 pandemic is testing world leaders. Who's stepping up? So you can see there's beginning to be that thinking. And this pandemic, uh, with this pandemic going on, the world is getting ripe for a leader to to step up and take the reins. And that's why I think we're so close to the rapture. You know, at first, the Antichrist will look like he solves all the problems in the world, the economic problems, maybe coming off of this pandemic. Uh, He'll bring peace to the Middle East while he brokers this deal, perhaps maybe taking what what the White House and Trump have proposed and tweaking it a, a bit to where all parties will accept it, and he'll bring peace to the Middle East. He'll probably uh, be able to uh, take hold of reins of a post-pandemic world with the right protocols that everyone accepts. And, and then he's going to bring all religions in unity. That's the plan. He's going to gain more power until his true colors will come out. And his true agenda, his disposition, when he shows himself that he wants to be supreme king, uh, the highest divine, the global power over everyone and everything, the dictator of the world. You know, that's what's going to come out in the end. And I kind of stopped to think about, really, in applying it to myself. What does my life show? Am I what God's people should be? What is my disposition in me personally? Does it show that I'm out for the Lord or I'm out for something else or myself? The Antichrist is going to be doing Satan's bidding, basically. He's going to be Satan's guy and, 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 and you know, promoting everything that Satan wants. How about us? Are, are, what are we really promoting? Is it things of God, Jesus Christ? What is your disposition? Well, we've seen here the coming Antichrist and his disposition. But let's go on now to number two, his domination, his domination. Uh, as we continue here in this next section, we're going to be looking at verse 39 through 43. So take a look here. Um, that's going to be our section. But first, uh, let's look at verse 39. Verse 39. It reads here, He shall deal with the strongest force, fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor he shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. We'll stop there. Now, first of all, we see with the, the Antichrist, he's going to deal with the st- strongest fortresses. In others, the strongest countries, the strongest military, countries with the strongest military. He's, he's going to deal with them. He's not going to, uh, he's going to come in and, and maybe they're as strong or stronger than him, but he's going to come in in a different strategy. And with the help of it, that foreign God, which is another word for Satan, he's going to be doing Satan's bidding. And you know, he's going to make alliance with them. He's going to tempt them in an alliance by loading them with 
honor, like giving them recognition and position and, and oh, you could, you could be rulers over many. And notice what it says here at the, at, at the end of verse 39. You shall divide the land for a price. I think that's super interesting. I'm not sure, but with the current peace plan, it could be possibly maybe he's going to broker some deal where, hey, if you Palestinians would give up like the West Bank and the Jordan, which is there's plenty of annex very soon, you know, the Jordan Valley, that is the West Bank, Jordan Valley, you know, then I'll tell you what, we'll recognize you as a state, as a true country, right? Perhaps that's part of the deal, even part of the deal is that Israel will be able to give something up in order to rebuild the temple, divide up the land a little more for them, sweeten the deal, and then, hey, okay, we'll let you uh, rebuild the temple with uh, Jordan and Palestinians there. Now, we don't know exactly what this is in the future, but the Antichrist is going to work his deals and 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 and, and try and side swipe. You know, all all side come in through the side. You know, whatever Russia's plan is, Iran's and these other powers here, he's going to try and work some deals on all this. And what it and what's the goal? To gain control, to gain control. Uh, this is his part of his uh, domination here. All right, now verse forty. Through 43, the rest of this first section, is. it says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall come into countries, and shall overflow and pass through. Verse 41, He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Uh, Verse 42, He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. And then verse 43, He shall become the ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. So we'll stop right there. So going back to verse 40, it says, So at the time of the end, well, that's, again, speaking about the tribulation years. And many believe this is speaking about the mid part, three and a half years, the time of the end end here. So this could be, remember, when the Antichrist does his abomination desolation, he stands up, declares himself God. He's the highest divine. He's the supreme king. Everybody has to worship him. He's the new religion. He's the one world religion. Well, it could be that peop- that countries don't like that. So maybe they turn and rebel against him. And so it says here, the king of the south. And you remember as we've been studying, right, uh, in uh, this chapter, the king of the south was Egypt, the country of Egypt, right, will come to attack him. And so um, the, they'll come and try and attack the Antichrist and all his armies. Now, there's, we're not for sure where his headquarters are. Some say, well, the great Babylon, we're gonna, the city of Babylon in Iraq is going to be his headquarters. We're not sure. He might move it more into the area of Israel. But the, the king of the south, Egypt's going to muster up all their armies to come attack him. And at the same time, the king of the north, and who is that if you remember, Syria, right? In that area, they'll come to attack too. 
Now, we don't know exactly, is Syria going to be that strong? Will it be part of Iran as we see today? Iran in there, they're going to come and try and attack him. Will Russia be part of that? Because Russia has their feet and stake in Syria right now too. We're not sure, but it could be all of that. So the Antichrist, he's going to get up, maybe say from Babylon. He's going to march his armies against them, going through now the glorious land. And what is that? Israel, right? The promised land. And he's going to defeat them and all others who joined in against him. And it says here, tens of thousands shall fall in verse 41. But interesting enough, the land of Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites, it says, will be spared, which today is the nation of Jordan. And I'll tell you, that's interesting because after the Antichrist sets himself to be God, requires the whole world to worship him. He stops the sacrifices in the temple. These Jews are going to be shocked, right? They're devoted to the one true God. And and then he's going to threaten the world of their life and the Jews. If they don't worship him, you're going to die, right? And so he he's going to go after the Jews because they're not going to do that. And they're going to run. And God will save them, the book of Revelation, bringing him into what is believed Petra, and you guys probably heard about that before. It's this rock city where there's caves and things, and they can easily hide out in there, uh, many of the Jews here. Well, guess where Petra is? In southern Jordan. So kind of interesting here. It could be because of that God will not allow the Antichrist to take these areas. So he goes through uh, Israel. He comes out into Egypt, and when he gets to Egypt, uh, Egypt's going to fall. All their treasures will be his. He makes, uh, he makes firm his dominating power now. He, he reaffirms his, his might and his supremacy here as leader and king of the whole world. And next to Egypt, it says here, the Libyans, verse 43, and the Cushites, which is Sudan, will abandon Egypt, basically, and give in to the Antichrist. They're going to just cave and, oh, yeah, 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 we're, we're with you, not Egypt, you know, kind of thing. Interesting. I mean, this is in the future, um, <clears throat> but uh, maybe we'll get to watch it all from up top. Yeah, But we'll see this unfold. So in the future, no one can stop the Antichrist. That's really the idea here. And, and his dominion. You know, it's during this time, right? The Antichrist, when he stands up, declares himself to be God, requires the world to worship him, that he will also require every person to receive a mark on the right hand or forehead, Revelation 13. And no person will be able to buy or sell without it. So today we tend to interpret this that, well, this mark, it could be maybe that chip, right? Maybe how uh, we use our credit cards that have a number or or our Apple phones now that are tied to that number, or our credit card, and we buy and sell with that. And as you know, as time is going forward here, and even in this pandemic, they're talking about things like that to even verify you've been vaccinated and all this stuff. There's some stuff going on, you know, and people are talking now. But it's going to all culminate in the Antichrist, and part of his dominion is making everyone take this, this mark and it's not just for commerce or being able to buy, but it really is. So it would mean if you take this mark, whether in your right hand or forehead, that you're making allegiance to him, that you're acknowledging the Antichrist is God, and perhaps even going for, further, that you're willing to submit yourself and to uh, worship Satan. 
It could be all tied in and all of that. So perhaps with all of this happening, even this buying and selling the mark that he puts up, maybe that's why these countries rebel and attack him. So our point here is this, that Antichrist wants to not just control every nation, but have every person on earth to be in submission to him. This is his domination, you guys. He wants not just countries, but every person yeah, under his thumb. He wants to control and know about every person. And when we talk about like uh, contact tracking now, you know, this is, a, this is that idea. He'll know, you know, through this mark, where you're at, what you're doing. If you're buying or selling, if you don't take the mark, that's it. You're not part of society. You're going to be killed. And many, many of the tribulation saints, those who get saved after the rapture, they're going to not take that mark and be killed and persecuted for not doing that. So this is the Antichrist. This is his whole push. The Antichrist wants to uh, not just control every nation, but every person on earth to be in submission to him. The other day I went around the house and uh, uh, our property, uh, our house, and I sprayed, right? Uh, but I was thinking about that. No matter how many times I sprayed, the bugs keep coming back. The ants, right? The cockroaches. And, and I was thinking, you know, it's like they want to take over your house, right? Well, maybe they're not that organized. But let me tell you, Satan is. In the end time, Satan gets his chance to make everyone submit to him by force, if not by deception, right? By, and, and, and the Antichrist is, is going to ultimately do this by putting that mark out, declaring himself God, requiring every single person, oh, you're dead. This is going to be forced submission to the Antichrist and basically to Satan. And listen, from the beginning, this is what Satan's plan was, right? To take over the throne, to be like God, right? To, to be worship, right? That, that was his, that's why he fell. He was, he was an angel in heaven. But he wanted to be like God. He wanted everyone to look to him. So using the lure of the power of riches, as we saw here, uh, of, of, of power and riches, using the, the lure of like fear and intimidation, even lies and force, Satan is out there, you know, trying to get us to turn from God, just like the strategy of the Antichrist. Uh, Satan wants to take control of our life, that we will be submitted and do his bidding. And, and basically, he's going to come after us so that we would give in to him. But you guys, don't give in. Do not be fooled in what he's trying to do. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 and 10 says. By the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. See, the people of the world, they're going to be deceived by Satan because they're not interested in the truth. You know what they're interested in? Themselves. That's what's going to happen. Oh, we get this. Oh, this leader will help us here. Oh, yeah, we'll do anything. Yeah, for for um, for an, a good life for us, right? So watch out for this deception of Satan even today because this is what the Antichrist is going to do. All right, our last heading here is number three, his downfall. So with the coming Antichrist, we see his dis disposition, his domination, now his downfall. And we're going to look at here the last two verses of the chapter. And so take a look with me here. The last two verses, verse 44 and verse 45. It says, But news from the east... 
and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction, and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. So this is his downfall, this is his end. And so we see the Antichrist, he, he gets news now, verse 44, that there's this great army coming to fight him. Now, in Revelation 16, it talks about two, a 200-million-strong army coming from the east. Now, we don't know exactly. It could be China. They, they, have, a, they have at least that much uh, in their army. It could be other countries. Uh, but these kings of the east, east, Revelation talks about, they all join together to come and fight. The Antichrist. So though the Antichrist had conquered Egypt and, 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 and um, the Syria and whoever was involved with that, and he, he enjoyed maybe a little time of victory and like, ah, I'm in power. All of a sudden he hears now these kings of the East, these two, this 200 million strong army is coming for him. And then it says another army, right, out of the north. Now, perhaps... That's Russia, maybe regrouped either you know after the fall with this uh, defeat with Syria, or maybe after Ezekiel 38, 39 defeat, it's regrouped, it's gotten more guys again, and it's coming to fight the Antichrist. So we, it could be Russia. So we have these armies from the north coming down, and and armies from the east coming over here. And here's the Antichrist more on the West, right? So they come to fight the Antichrist. And, and, and the Antichrist is just in great fury. He's like, you know what? How could they do that? How dare they do that? So he's super upset with, with, with these countries coming against him. So he marches out and he sets up an uh, interesting word, uh, his palatial tents. In other words, uh, uh, literally the, the Hebrew is royal tent. So this Antichrist, the King Supreme, right? The highest divine, he sets a base camp. In between now, it says here, the sea, which is the Mediterranean, and the glorious holy mountain, which is Jerusalem. So there, in between the sea and there, he, he sets up his base camp, and all these armies are, are coming there to converge on him and fight him. Now, Revelation sixteen sixteen tells us this place is Mount Megiddo, or as we call it, Armageddon. I've been there. Uh, one of our tours of, of Israel we went to, we went to uh, where Solomon's stables were, or, or not his stables, well, it was an outpost of Solomon that the king had set up. And, and then from there, you could look over into this valley, and, and then uh, Mount Megiddo was here, and there's this whole valley, and, and you, could, you could see this would be the area right there uh, in this area would be Armageddon, and you know what Armageddon, that's that last huge battle. So then the second part of verse 45 says, Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. This is the last battle. This is going to be the end of the Antichrist. And you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to return. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, 30, it says that he'll return on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 19 tells us how the Antichrist and, and his forces, uh, they're going to come and they're going to all gather together to fight in Armageddon, in this, in this place here, China, uh, from the north, Russia, and here's the Antichrist, all coming together. 
But when Jesus returns, they're all going to join together and they're going to try and fight Jesus, which I think is crazy. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? And I believe because Revelation 19 talks about a sword in his mouth, I believe that Jesus just opens his mouth, says the word, and poof, they're all defeated, right? It's going to be the shortest battle ever in history. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. That will be the end of the Antichrist. And then the Antichrist, we see in Revelation 19, along with the false prophet, are cast into the lake of fire and Satan is bound up. So this happens at the end of the seven years of tribulation, at the battle of Armageddon. This is what we're looking at here. Uh, the rule of the Antichrist ends when Jesus returns. And this is his downfall. This is how he's going he's gonna to be defeated. Jesus Christ brings him down. Not another nation, not another army, uh, not, not a person assassinating him. No, Christ himself is going to put an end to the Antichrist. You know, what's interesting to me in Jude 14, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And you know who that is? You and me, believers, we're going to come at the second coming. Uh, the clouds of heaven is talking about 10,000 of the saints. We're going to be coming down too, and Christ will come, I believe, on his horse. Maybe we'll have our little horse too. And we'll be coming down behind him. We'll be like, woo, yeah, woo, But we're not going to have to fight because God, with the sword of his mouth, just opens up his word and poof, they're all defeated. Hey, we're going to have front row seats. Isn't that exciting to know? Well, our last point is this. The most evil leader in the world will be defeated in the end by Jesus Christ. Amen. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The most evil leader in the world will be defeated in the end by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, a boy, boy was um, up late reading a murder mystery. And with the drama of the villain and the heroine going back and forth. And every time as he's reading this story, the villain seemed to be winning. And he started to feel bad for the heroine. Well, he turned to the back of the book because he couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> so he read the last chapter. He saw how in the end the villain got it in the neck and the heroine was delivered. Well, then he went back to where he had left off in his reading. And every time it seemed like the villain, the bad guy, was getting away with his evil work, the boy would verbally say, If you only knew what I know, you wouldn't be so proud and cocky. <laughs> I like that. I've read the back of this book, the Bible, right? I know how things are going to end up. I know what turns out even at the end of chapter 11, right? God wins. God is going to win. Look, it may not seem right now that that's what it looks like. It, it, it may seem like, why is Satan able to do whatever he wants right now? Why is he getting away with things? Why does it seem that Satan has an upper hand in this world? It may even seem that the devil is being allowed to destroy some things in your life with some situations. But I want you to know, there's hope. In the end, God's going to win. He's sovereign. He's working His plan. Or like we, if you missed last Sunday, you know, we learn about trials and troubles, what, it, what it's all about and what God's plan is. But know this, in the end, God will rule. And He will win. And He will defeat evil and the Antichrist and Satan. 
Satan may be allowed to have his way right now, but God is still in control. And know that today. Know that. But God can take whatever's meant for evil and turn it to good, right? I like this quote what someone's this quote what someone said. Only God can turn mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. Isn't that beautiful? Only God can do that. He's more powerful than anything the enemy can do. He's more powerful than even our own failures and the consequences and the mess that we make about with it. He can take any trial test and use it in our lives. And you know what? He can bring triumph. He can bring victory into our lives. Listen, all this that we've studied today is, is not for you to look like for the Antichrist. It's like, okay, now I know he's kind of like this. So we start looking, you know. And, and for me, sometimes I'm reading the news and I think, oh, I wonder, I wonder, you know. I wonder. And, but I believe that, you know, since we're at the edge of the beginning of tribulation years, everything's set up, right? I believe the Antichrist is on this earth. I believe he's making his way up right now. I don't know who it is, but let me tell you, I don't really care. I don't. All I know is that when what I read here and with things getting set up for the Antichrist to rise up, you know what that means? Jesus is coming soon. So the focus is not on the Antichrist, but the focus is on to be on Jesus Christ. It may seem strange, but this study on the Antichrist is actually a message of hope. Because if we see things really being set up for the end times and the Antichrist, uh, the world and globalism is setting him up, you know what? That's hope because we know then Jesus is coming soon, and he will defeat the Antichrist. You, you see, the Antichrist isn't like these other leaders who ruled for 10, 20, you know, 30 years, 40 years, you know. It's not like a legacy, a dynasty of evil leaders and, and kings that ruled. And ruled. No, it's only going to be a short seven years, and we're not even going to be here. Matter of fact, that's the hope. Pretty soon, we're going to be home with Jesus as we see things being set up for the rise of the Antichrist and the coming of Him. So we look in hope to God. So, so we're not to focus on Antichrist, but focus on Jesus Christ. God is the powerful one. Now I'll close with this story during an earthquake. Then the, the people of a small village were very much afraid during this earthquake and a series of earthquakes. And one elderly woman whom they all knew was was surprisingly, this elderly woman was just calm and actually had some joy. Eventually, one of the people in the village asked her, Are you not afraid? And no, she said, I rejoice to know that I have a God who can shake the world. I love that. She trusted in the Lord that no matter what happens, He's in control. He has His hand on her. And the earth may shake, but God, who loves me, controls that shaking. So keep that in mind. Satan may try to rule the world. Satan may try to do his thing and setting things up for the Antichrist to come. But God will only allow it to go so far. It will not be permanent. For he is greater than the Antichrist. He is greater than Satan. He is greater than whatever comes, even the coming of the Antichrist. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you 
that you are powerful and you are greater. And we could trust in you that no matter what, God, you rule and reign. And, and God, you are the creator of the universe. You, you created this fallen angel even. And this fallen angel has nothing over you, God. And even with this wicked, evil ruler that will be the supreme king, the highest divine, global power, more, more powerful than ever any man ever was, you're greater. And God, we thank you that even as we're learning these things, we see that uh, we can see the signs, Lord, even today that things are being set up for this person. Our, 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 the way we do our economy, the technology, all of this is just coming together. The, how the, is the Jews and even Muslims are looking for a Messiah, looking for a Savior. How this pandemic is making people look for some, some guy to save us and solve all our problems and bring peace in the Middle East and all of that. God, we see that there are all signs that are setting up the time and the coming of the Antichrist. But that means your coming is so soon. That means that soon the church will be home with you in the rapture. And so, Lord, help us to see hope in all of this and help us to, to correct anything we need to correct, but to really give away this hope also to others to let them know and help us to live that life so that we may be a light to others and give away that hope. So we thank you, God, for your word today. Thank you for being our awesome and powerful God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him. <laughs> 